Hello, and welcome to Quad Trivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Brittany, aka Ginny Pond on Twitch, host of Ginny's Cozy Quiz. I'm Jason with Liquid Courage Entertainment, based out of Chicago, but also spreading to New Jersey and hopefully beyond. I'm Aaron with Trivia Smash and Fargo Trivia Hub around the world and wherever 8 out of 10 cats prefer the taste of trivia. And I'm Tipster, host and land penguin at the Pinnacle Larder floating somewhere in the Antarctic Ocean. And welcome to today's episode. I feel like Yay. these intros are getting like a nuclear arms race one-upsmanship situation going on. The more that we I've do been them. saying the same thing since I started, okay? <laughs> I just say words and hope that they sound correct. I just <laughs> like using I like using commercial taglines because it's just funny, but that one today was a strict tribute. So Ah. Yeah, you gotta remember, Tipster, before your time, everyone was just very bland. It's like I'm so and so from blank in X, and then you had to bring land penguins and the atlantic in and it's just it's it's flung the doors wide open look i have to keep the kayfabe alive okay (laughs) i can respect that are you sure is that flipper bias (laughs) was that flipper bias (laughs) the hell is going on in north dakota are you discriminating against penguins now with that what's going on not here for this penguin erasure? <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I don't think we want to erase the penguins. <laughs> I'm just now The planet's imagining... already doing a good enough job of that on its own. If there's one thing I've learned, it's never race a penguin underwater. They will kick your ass. It's unbelievable. Have you been in a lot of situations to test that theory? I don't want to talk about it anymore. I signed an NDA. <laughs> so did Waddles. Uh... <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I have a lifetime ban from the zoo, but I'm not not saying it either. <laughs> For me, it's the Shed Aquarium. Never been, never allowed. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, they'll they'll check. They'll get you on that social media check every time. <laughs> <laughs> Why and do you think welcome I'm to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tipster, how is the larder doing these days? I know it's been under some uh, renovation the last few months. Yeah, it's uh, it's going. We're kind of gearing back up for a, for a new uh, season, hopefully very soon. Um, but oh, is this it's... a you heard it here first situation? Are we are we breaking news right now? No, 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 no. no. Oh. Um, but I I think by the time this episode comes out, I will be getting ready to start again uh basically and and continue doing the, the pub quiz on sundays oh, that um, is fantastic news uh it's it's been a long break but it's been needed a lot of stuff has been going on mm. uh at the larder and you d- gotta keep the thing afloat you know <laughs> no, that's fair have you tried ice uh yes yes we have the whole thing is made of ice <laughs> well as you know as long as the pub is on the rocks in a good way yeah it, well yeah huh never thought about that That's... <laughs> there you go Brittany. you've just given him his new season tagline <laughs> on the rocks literally <laughs> series four on the rocks uh so let me let me ask you this because you're not the only one who does it and i've always been genuinely kind of intrigued at this notion uh especially when it comes to like twitch style pub trivia 
uh you a fair number of the the brits uh that stream on twitch and i've noticed a couple people in the u.s as well break up their content into seasons and often there isn't like a break between them why is that yeah uh, well so it's it's to give some sort of finality and something to build towards i suppose okay um and uh it's a good time to go right that's that season done and dusted this is the season we're bringing in some new mechanics we're bringing in some new ideas we're trying some new things um so it's it's a good way to kind of quantize um you know a, a period where you're testing something new um for me i do have breaks between my seasons um a few of the uh, Twitch streamers that um, I follow as well, well, they'll have short breaks. They'll have like mm -hmm. a week or two between them, um, but they'll use those season breaks to kind of refocus, get feedback from everybody, and use those season breaks to implement those that that feedback. Okay, see, so when you put it that way, it makes all the sense in the world. Instead of my approach, which is really just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks from week to week. <laughs> mm hmm. I mean, this is this is the the big difference though between being someone who that's their career and someone who does this as essentially a side hustle um, is that we can afford to have those breaks, whereas you know people whose livelihoods kind of depend on it uh, to some extent. Um, can't you, you can't really afford to have that break because you you stand the potential to either lose people in that time or you know you have a week where you're not really earning and it can be difficult to put those breaks in for yourself sometimes see and as you say that it occurs to me we've got four people on this episode two of us are we'll say older <laughs> uh two of us are less so and the two of us that are older do do this uh, specifically for profit, whereas the two younger ones do it more in that, as you said, that side hustle kind of context. And I wonder if that speaks to like the generationality of the workforce in the 21st century uh, in the quote unquote Western world. Thoughts, Aaron? There's so many. Um, <clears throat> I think it's, I think you're actually right where uh, we feel like the, um, you and I would say being that more learned status i guess if they're gonna go with something you can say old fucks it's fine <laughs> us old fucks here uh, <laughs> it is a job for us it's it, it is that job but to us the hustle is just part of what it is and i i really do think i really do think that uh whereas I think the one term that we never used but gets bandied about now over the past five years, I would say, gig economy. Oh my goodness, mm -hmm. yeah. The term gig economy really has, but there's so many jobs that have transitioned to that where it's all pay for, it's it's all hire for pay sort of things where if you don't get hired, you're not making money. And there's so many jobs out there now that exist solely on that level Oh, for sure. Just, your Ubers and, and just, your DoorDashes and things like that. Yeah, your Fibers. Ubers, your DoorDashes, your right. tw your Twitches are also along your Twitch streamers, anything mm. like that. Your uh, YouTube content producers as well, kind of that sort of thing, where they're doing four, seven, twenty-eight different things. Because and, no individual yeah. thing is enough to to necessarily make a 
profitable career out of. Right. And I think that's where you and I might also be feeling that kind of struggle where we're not used to, we have our job, that's our job. We might have something we moonlight at or something we do on the side just for a little bit. But the quote unquote side hustle, the idea of where you have something that you kind of work at as your main job, but you have like four or five different things that you do on the side to kind of make a little bit of balance in the checkbook is still a new concept and I'm still wrapping my head around it. Like I've thought about getting into the Twitch streaming thing, but I know that it's tight and, you know, I would probably be bringing something to the table that a lot of other people have already done, but how do I make it unique is the question. Have you considered hot tub streams? <clears throat> I have oh. considered hot tub streams, but uh, I don't know that there is a beached whale classification. So really... Uh, oh, you can make the I... tags anything you want on Twitch. You're fine. And I know no kink shaming. We don't do that here. <laughs> I, I know. I was thinking about going to OnlyFans, but now they're shutting down on all that stuff. So... What to I know, do? It's, it, it's a real shame, too, with the OnlyFans situation, sincerely, because I was this, this close to getting my feet pics on there for profit. <laughs> well, I, I think you still can with the feet pics. Ooh, I don't know. I, I, would, I, I would strongly argue that that is sexually explicit content. Don't at me. Mm. Well, now, here's my question for you guys. You mentioned a gig economy. Is that like 1,024 meg economies? And this concludes episode 68 of Quadrivia. Oh. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, speaking good, of conclusions. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Somewhere in the background, the, the Price is Right trumpets are playing just for you. <laughs> is, is that their finale? The yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we can't because we don't have Jeremy's toy, which hopefully gets taken away from him at some point I, in the near future. I promise you I had nothing to do with him <laughs> getting it, and if I could take it away, I would. Anyway, speaking of segues into segues, Brittany, you were trying to segue us. Oh, yeah, I just I thought we'd go for one final segue before we talked about final question mechanics. You know how so, I said before not, the recording <laughs> that, like, I had a headache and we should probably not go too meta on this? We just went too meta on this. <laughs> it's the final question. <laughs> I was about to say maybe the dumbest thing in the history of Quadrivia. Please say it. I was going to ask Tipser if they've gotten Europe over there yet. Well, he's in Antarctica. It's a perfectly valid question. It's all smoke yes. screen. We all know it. <laughs> I was. I was going to harken back to our, uh, our our previous delightful conversations about the difference between uh, Britishisms and USisms and, and culture changes and whatnot. I think sausages were going to come up at some point, but let's instead uh, mm -hmm. talk about the main topic of today's episode, which is uh, Brittany has, I was going to say alluded to, but explicitly said on multiple occasions now, uh, talking about the mechanics of a final question or a final round within a pub trivia game. And there are strong opinions about this topic, which is why we've decided to tackle it on in our own delightful and probably faily way. But uh, let's, Let's open up the conversation with, I guess, this open-ended question. Um, do you do them? And if so, or if not, why? Um, so I've always done them as a thing. I mean, they've been a way to close the show that feels... Uh, 
not so much climactic, but it feels like it's worth sticking around for. Um, it's it's there as a um, way of you know being able to shake up the standings a bit towards the end, even if there's a runaway leader potentially. You know, someone could um, come from behind and take it at the last moment because. Somebody made somebody got a little bit too uh, risky with their strategy on the final question. Um, so uh, yes, yes, I definitely do do final questions, and apparently, it it works in some respects. Hmm. I mean, I do them as well. I've done them uh, ever since I started doing this back in. I don't want to talk about it, but. Uh... Really, the, the fundamental reason that I brought them into my game was to emulate what I thought people thought a pub trivia experience would be like, and that sincerely is the game show Jeopardy. Jeopardy has had such a strong cultural impact, and it's in a very real sense kind of defined the the industry and the subculture that, that we're all a part of, that if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Uh, the final question format and rules have changed over the years, but it was always... Uh, primarily not so much an homage as it felt apt to do it if people who did this for a much broader audience and a lot more money than me thought it was apt to do. That's that's an interesting one because obviously Jeopardy has a huge influence over there and not so much over here. So I think that's why in the majority of quizzes that I've been to um, kind of in britain um there isn't that final question mechanic there isn't that that you know last round that's worth a little bit more um at least in my experience anyway yeah and i know uh several american pub trivia hosts and companies that to the best of my knowledge don't and haven't done final questions geek who geeks who drink jump to mind uh i've participated in a couple geek bowls and their their shtick has always been eight rounds of I believe eight questions apiece. Uh, you have the potential to double a round of your choice, but it it's not the last round. In fact, I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to ever do the last round, uh, depending on the the talent pool and and strengths of your team. Uh, our buddy Corey, obviously uh, from Third Degree Entertainment, also does not do a final question mechanic. He does uh, five rounds, ten questions apiece during his game, and whatever you end with is whatever you end with. So it's it's not that ubiquitous. Uh, and I know that people who participate in, in more than one trivia brand uh, have really strong opinions pro or con the element. I guess uh, before we get into that, though, Aaron, do you do them? Uh, I know that you've uh, hosted in a couple of different contexts, so I'll let you speak mm -hmm. on that. Um, I've done both with and without. Uh, personally, I prefer the with just because it gives that players that feeling of one final chance, that one shot. You know, being able to pick up either a mass amount of points or backslide into ignominy, just that you want to have that kind of last final adrenaline rush almost. When you know you're playing at a game where it's just a complete runaway, you do feel a little deflated. Having that final question mechanic gives you that that one in a million shot, even if it is kind of a runaway event. So I, I prefer doing them. Okay. I've worked with companies that don't. 
and like I said, you just get that, oh, look, this team's ahead by 10 points and there's only eight questions in this round. Gee, I wonder who's going to win. See, that that brings up something that I definitely want to ask you specifically and, and the panel kind of generally is, do you think that the inclusion or exclusion of a final question has some kind of correlation with the presentation of scores throughout the game? I think it, to an extent, yes. Uh, if you are the kind of venue or if you are the kind of game that does have score presentation after every round, uh, it also depends on the kind of mechanic you use for scoring. And if you, I know there's already been an episode that deals specifically with game mechanics. You know, how do you build a round? How do you build your game? There's already been an episode that handles this, but I think the difference in the game mechanics lends itself to having a final round or a final question mechanic. Whereas if you have kind of a <clears throat> if you have kind of a gimmick game, like I, I would say uh, yours is a perfect example of that one. You don't necessarily need it because the way you set up your entire game lends itself to kind of that happenstance of chance where okay. uh, wagers are set and things like that. Whereas a very dry cut, straightforward, I would say British style quiz, having mm -hmm. a final round just makes no sense. Uh, that's just personal, personal feeling on that one. And I do feel that if you are giving, you know, updates after every single round, with with Jay's mechanic, it works perfectly. With a game where it's just straightforward, ten questions, one you know, ten points for each one. You feel like that if you're behind by that much, you feel like you're just completely out of it. Yeah, and that, it becomes... that kind of speaks to the thought that I was having is yeah. you know, let's say you're in a situation like you said where there's eight questions left in the round and you're ten points behind. Um, if there is no final question, what's the strong incentive for you to stick around and finish it out if you're, you know, out of the eligibility of a prize, presuming that that's what you're there for, and I understand that that's a big presumption, uh, versus a situation where you get, and, and Tipster's game is a really good example of this, uh, because he does, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a little while, but uh, you do a halftime score update. And you do yep. a immediately before the final uh, question slash round update. Is that right? No, no. I it's, do a halftime score update and that's it. It's just the halftime update. So it's there's just that, the halftime. There's that uncertainty uh, going into his final round that you don't know if you're necessarily leading. You, you get kind of a, a rough presumption of where you might be based on your own success and, and what the scores look like at the half kind of thing. Uh, but it adds a layer of strategy and almost luck but it's more so you kind of manifesting the the success that you want to have at the end uh by virtue of being able to press your luck uh in his final round and you don't know if you need those points or if you're risking what could be a lock situation by going further uh whereas a game like mine i've i've always had this mentality for whatever reason that i want my teams to know exactly where the state of play is at every point in the game and i think part of that is a fear I had going in that people would accuse me of cooking the books and saying, oh, okay, well, this team is beating you by 15 points uh, out of nowhere at the end. And, you know, rather than like stopping the game and having to, to show my work as it were, um, you know, I built in a situation where after every question, every team was able to see 
every score. It was almost an integrity check uh, from mm. a design perspective from me. Uh, and I feel like I'm kind of going off the rails because we're talking about whether or not you should do a final question, not about why you show the leaderboard or not uh, at any given point. But I do, I really think that the nature of the final question you do, if you do one uh, versus not doing one at all, might tie in a lot to whether or not teams are able to suss out that they're being competitive relative to the field at the end of the game. Right. And I do feel like um, at least I have a additional reason that I do like to include a final question or final round, however you want to style it in my game. And that is to incentivize people to stay to the end of the game. And part of that, I think, does involve showing the leaderboard, because if you show the leaderboard throughout the night, people know where they stand. But for me personally, the way my game is formatted, my final round like my last round before the final question is always like an experimental mechanic and it changes from week to week. And I want to mm. give people a reason to stick around and play that mechanic so they can tell me if they like it or not. Um, because if I want to repeat a mechanic, that kind of gives me an indication as to if people enjoyed it or not. But if everyone leaves because there's nothing to keep them around at the end, then no one stays to give me that feedback but also, it gives a way for it to consistently end the yeah. game rather than having an unpredictable way. Like, because one of my mechanics could absolutely blow, uh, you know, and then people leave on a very negative note and aren't really incentivized to come back to my quiz. Mm -hmm. But by having that consistency of a final mechanic... Um, and mine is very game-swingy, potentially. It's very much a... Um, because you have the opportunity to triple your score or oh close to triple. Yeah. yeah. The way it works is it can, I've had it swing a game like just last, uh, not the game I just ran, but the one two weeks ago, I had one team that was, uh, in first, like the entire game. And then with the swing round or with the, um, final round, I had another team that pulled all three parts and they ended up tripling their wager and they took first place at the end. Okay, I mean, they were okay. doing they were doing steadily well throughout the game, sure. but it wasn't like they were in first the entire game. And as far as I know, between all four of us, we all four present a very different final question. None of us has the same. We might have ideas as to how we all kind of do it similar, but all of us present a very different final question. So mm -hmm. I think to to that end is, again... How do you incentivize people to stay for the final question? How do you incentivize people to do certain things with that final question? And I think, uh, since they're both the most intriguing, but Jason, I like your final mechanic. I will say that it's one of my favorites. Uh, why don't you explain how that works? Uh, sure. And thank you, by the way, because every once in a while I do need to hear that. It is, it's... It's a weird-ass idea. Don't get me wrong. It's tough as balls sometimes to, to, to get yours. It, it, how, how long did it spend in development? It was a good, like, month and a half that... It, we... it went through a couple iterative forms. Uh, the, the version that I'm using now I landed on probably about five months ago, and I'm, I'm pretty content with it mm. at this point. And by content, I mean I'm no longer uh, going to care if people like it or not because I'm doing it. 
Uh, but for those of you who don't know, uh, the final question that I, format that I've developed over the last uh, on and off over the last year is called a garden path. And the premise is that it's one question given in five parts where the answer to the first part actually feeds into the wording of the second part so that without it, in theory, you're not even going to know what I'm asking for in the second part without that key element. That answer feeds into the third part and so on down the line. Uh, the theory is it is easy to get lost on the garden path is what gives it its name, but it is an incremental style question. Uh, so if you can suss out what the you know first ask is uh, and you give that as your answer, I'll award you 10 points for it in my 200 and yeah, 200 point game. Uh, if you can take that answer and go a step further and answer the next part, I'll give you 20 points instead, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you can walk the entire five step garden path, that is a 50 point answer in a 200 point maximum game. Yeah, speaking personally as someone who's played your game, I've actually, actually had a night recently where I was very much not in the contending for anything for the night and your garden path just happened to be in my wheelhouse and I was able to get 50 points and I ended up coming in first place by I think three points mm -hmm. over the team that had been in the lead um so it's very much a rewards taking risks but it's also set up in a way that doesn't make you feel like you have to take a risk in order to participate yeah that's very much a key element to the design is you're not giving up to five answers you're giving just one answer at the level of your choosing you don't have to tell me what level it is for uh like mechanical reasons but basically if the single answer you give matches any of the five answers you get the requisite points so if you have strong confidence at the 10 20 even 30 point level um that's great you could submit at that 30 point level and you know feel comfortable that you're going to earn 30 points on the last question but if you do need or want to gamble and you think you've got a chance at 40 or even 50, uh, you have to weigh out that that certainty versus that risk reward element. Uh, and it's not it's not something that is kind of explicitly baked in, but it does emerge as a consequence of the format uh, that there is that that risk mechanic as you go farther and farther. Yeah, that, that's that's the thing that kind of for me, it's one of those things that because it's effectively five questions running on from each other like it it feels like such an achievement to get that 50 <laughs> because yeah. you are yeah. effectively answering and deciphering five questions in that time and most of the time you're you're not a hundred percent because you've probably not sure on one of the things along the way and maybe you've made a misstep and mm. ended up in the in the greenhouse for some reason uh <laughs> but um uh the times that you do get that 50 feel really good i i can only imagine i have participated in exactly one of these questions from the other side of the aisle and it is it's tough uh, I've, I've learned a little bit from that singular experience. So we've upped the timer a couple times in the iterations of this. Originally, because I'm a monster, you had two minutes. Uh, you now have four. And it may eventually go to five, uh, just because five is a nice round number. And I akin it less to a garden path. I, I always, when I, when I refer to it with you, I always refer to it as the hedge maze. Just because one wrong misstep and you are lost forever in it. 
And then it also becomes that thing of once you start, it starts off nice and easy, but then little thorns start to poke out. <laughs> you, it is a it is a fantastic mechanic, but it's a devilish mechanic as as well because, like I said, that one little misstep and psh, you are completely well, off rails. One thing I do think is so clever about your mechanic, Jason, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clever, and I know I've told you I think it's clever before, but is that your clues they can lead you astray. But if you, you know, you have the occasional thing where, yes, technically this answer is correct at this point. But once you step to the next part of it, if it doesn't fit that, then you have to backtrack. And you're like, okay, well, what are other possible answers that mm. fit here? I mean, I'll, I'll level with you, Brittany, in a perfect world. that That's not a situation I look forward to or intend in any way. Um, ideally... What I want when I write a garden path is, first of all, five questions in five very broad categories. I don't want to accidentally hit one person's uh, mastermind topic uh, unintentionally and just skew everything. But equally importantly, I, I want a question that stands on its own legs once you insert that key element. I want it to be able to theoretically exist as a distinct question that in theory gets you to one and only one answer if I've done my job right. Now, that doesn't always happen, and I'm aware of that, and people can interpret things that I write in ways that I didn't intend, and you can't always control for that. The nice thing is this self-regulates in a sense, as you were saying, because if you have an answer that you could argue is correct at the 20-point level, but in no way, shape, or form does it sensibly get you anywhere at 30 or beyond, uh, I've, I've come to the opinion slash decision that I need to make the ruling uh, and have done so that if your set of answers cannot logically get you to the appropriate 50 point answer uh, with perfect knowledge, then I cannot accept it. And it's, it's a little people, people moan and groan about that admittedly, because they'll say, well, I mean, I, I did my best. I, it was technically correct. Why don't I get points? Um, and at some point you just kind of have to shrug and, and, go, you know, as a writer, I, I did my best work in a good faith effort. Uh, it could be a question of interpretation. It could be a question of, um, you know, there was a very obscure alternate answer. I think I remember an instance right before you made that ruling. I think it was the, uh, you wanted James Buchanan and somebody gave you Daniel Craig because oh, it was like yes. a famous Pierce yeah, chronologically. Yeah, the, the best worst example of that was, um, you know, the, the clue was supposed to get you to James Buchanan and I was going off of the name Pierce uh, in that previous question. So the wording was basically in a famous chronological list, uh, the name that immediately succeeds Pierce. And my thought process was Franklin Pierce was the 14th president of the United States. Uh, I was trying to get you to James Buchanan, and I thought that logically it got you there. And it certainly does, until you remember that Pierce Brosnan was a canonical James Bond actor. And you could absolutely make the argument that Daniel Craig is also the next chronological name in a list of famous people that includes Pierce. Mm -hmm. Except if, if I'm being if I'm being pedantic and you have to have this person on this show, uh, the correct answer on that one wouldn't have been Buchanan. The correct answer would have been Daniel. Oh no, it was 
uh, if they were going with the if they're going the with the Pierce Brosnan, okay. the, they're the, going with yeah. the Pierce the Brosnan phrase, argument. Yeah, yeah the phraseology but then, of the but question, but then it doesn't fit. But it doesn't. But what you're saying is that it doesn't fit into the next part of it. So therefore, mm-hmm. it's not a correct answer. And I think that was the question that made him le- like, made made the make change. that ruling, like yeah. going forward. <laughs> So. Yeah, and if I remember right, the wording was explicitly we were looking for the full name of the figure because mm-hmm. ultimately the the fifty point level was trying to get okay. you to the Winter Soldier, and I was yeah. using James Buchanan as, as a lead to James to Buchanan him. Barnes, um, which you can't do with Daniel Craig, fortunately. Uh, but yeah, I also very very hard to try when I write these prompts uh, for a Garden Path to make sure that you know exactly the form of the answer that I need uh, for two reasons. One because the uh, trivia hosting platform that I use does a lot of work really well automatically if you answer the way I expect you to answer. So I try to make that explicit because it takes a lot of work off my end. And two, like in a situation like this, I don't want ambiguity as to, for the next step, is he looking for James? Is he looking for Buchanan? Or is he looking for James Buchanan to fill in the next blank? Uh, I think one of the things that your garden path final question brings up um we discussed earlier because you said it's 50 points out of a 200 point game uh yeah there's 150 points going into a 200 for a perfect game so about 25 percent of the points available in any given game are in your garden path how how much weight should you put on a final question like for instance you know your final jeopardy style questions could be anywhere up to 50 percent of a given game's points it's it's a strict double or nothing kind of endeavor and i've played around over the years with stuff like this um if if you forgive the fact that i'm monopolizing the time on the microphone to talk about this stuff uh it's only because i've got years and multiple elements to kind of talk about but uh when i originally did my my 50 question pub quiz format we did a legitimate final jeopardy style question uh except for that i had a 25 point limit on the wager uh, it was a plus or minus 25 point endeavor uh, in a game that at the time I'm trying to remember, I think was worth 200 points uh, in regulation. Okay. So it was, yeah, you could get up to like 200 or no, forgive that. It was a 225 point game in regulation. Final question would get you up to 250. So it was worth 10% of your score. Uh, the fundamental problem I ran into was, was actually um, economic. It was, it was uh, capitalism, ultimately, uh, because I had one or two players that were absolute powerhouses going out to my pub trivia shows. They would win games outright individually, uh, mm-hmm. which is not a good look, unfortunately. And uh, venue owners and managers see that um, these were teams that would be in lock victories, if you're familiar with the Jeopardy terminology, where it doesn't matter what anybody else did as long as they bet rationally they were guaranteed the win uh one of my venue owners uh flat out said hey we can't keep having this so i need you to uh to to take the limit off of the the limit break final question and ultimately i had to unfortunately uh i wrote the software at the time that that did all the the scoring and and presentation of everything and I had unintentionally put a two-digit cap on what the final wager input could ever be. Oh. Yeah, it was just a user interface design failure on my part uh, mm. that I at some point said, well, okay, well, final limit's going to be 25, and if I have somebody fill in, I don't want an unintentional situation where they accidentally put like 250 or something uh, because of a typo, so I'll cap it at two digits. Well, uh, that ended up forcing the 99-point rule. <laughs> 
uh, that we had for a number of years uh, where you can bet anything you want up to 99 points. Uh, so it wasn't a true daily double, but for a lot of teams, it could be. Um, and it ended up being, you know, worth closer to like 40% of your total potential point pool. Um, I was not happy about it at the time, uh, but I certainly was happy in the na- later version of the software that I wrote from the ground up to remove the cap entirely and make it a true daily double situation. So I have had like three different opinions on uh, how many points relative to the rest of your game a final question should be worth. Um there's value in all three cases, I think, and it's going to depend entirely on your style, how much of that come from behind ability you want, whether or not your final question is a risk reward style question, uh, and notably, uh, in my case, what you're being paid to do. True, true, true. Right. I mean, <laughs> you've, I, I run my own bar. I run my own game. I, I am paid by my own bar. Um, but when you're working in the wide world of other people, uh, Mm -hmm. you're kind of at the mercy of the venue owner sometimes. Um, Yeah. And I, I think, I think you hit on something in there just that I picked up on is when you have prizes, it does kind of change the consideration for how much your, uh, final mechanic should influence the outcome of the game. Definitely. And that also absolutely impacts the strategy you have going in, because are you trying to win outright or are you trying to lock in a quote unquote money position with a wager? Hmm. Um, I uh, that is another thing you kind of have to take into account. Yeah. Um, Is that when there's prizes on and this goes back to kind of the the format of your game the the style of your game kind of what you want your game to feel like do you want it to be uh you know who overall did the best that night gets the prize or do you want it to be a little bit more um touch and go maybe you know you get different winners each week um maybe the team that didn't do the best throughout you know comes from behind in some sort of a movie worthy uh final final question where do you want your game to fall on the order to chaos spectrum exactly <laughs> exactly do, do you want this to be you know go or do you want this to be shoots and ladders or at what point in between more accurately do you want it to be to, to uh enable the the board game analogy there um and I mean, we've touched on wagering style questions and we've touched on a couple of variations on the press your luck style question where you're not necessarily putting your own points on the line, but with each step you go, you are risking the points that you could get for that question. So like with the garden path question, um, uh, like with the accumulator. Yes, uh, let's. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about the, accumulator the accumulator because the garden path uh, tipster is is very very strongly inspired by your idea of the accumulator, and I want to give credit publicly where credit is due on that. Uh, my idea is very similar to yours. It's it differs in the places where it needs to differ to be authentic and to be distinct. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. It was at least largely inspired by the accumulator. So please talk us through the accumulator. So um, this has been my final round pretty much since I started 
out. I think only on the pilot episode was it not my final round. Um, and the idea is you go into this round, you get five questions. I'll read through them once, um, give you a little bit of thinking time between each. Uh, and then I will start a two and a half minute timer. You've got until the bell rings for final orders, uh, the, the bell rings for last orders at the bar to submit your answers. And you can submit as many or as few answers as you like. You get one point for your first correct answer, two points for your second, three for your third, four for your fourth and five for your fifth, giving you a total of 15 points for the round, uh, which is about 25% of the overall, overall available score in the quiz um the thing is that if at any point you give me an incorrect answer um you'll just get one point per correct answer you give me so if you give me four correct answers but one incorrect answer you're only scoring four points as opposed to the one plus two plus three plus four you'd have got otherwise um so it gives you that wiggle room to be able to go these first two questions i'm answering are basically for free um like if I answer question one correct and I go for question two, I'm not risking anything. So it lets people contribute without putting too much on the line. But if they really want to push that score up, if they really want to go for broke and go for, you know, go for first place and possibly climb a few places in the standings, then they're going to have to put in three, four, maybe all five answers. Um, and of course, you don't know how many answers another team is putting in. At this point, you only really know where you were halfway through the game as well. So it's a case of, okay, how do I feel I'm doing? Do I feel like I need to, you know, risk the three potential points I'm getting on this question for a potential six? How confident do I feel on that answer? There's a lot of things that kind of weigh into that. Um, and there's a lot of different ways in. Um, whereas with the garden path, it's quite linear in terms of the points that you can get along the way for each section. It's a little bit more freeform. You can, like, you can answer questions one, three, and five and skip two and four altogether. Um, and I feel like it, it's worked rather well as a final round mechanic. Um, it it hits that sweet spot for me of it's not so much of an overall kind of thing that it's like, well, the the rest of the game means nothing. Just wait for the final round. Uh, but it, it is enough of a kicker that it can change the standing significantly at the end. And I'm just trying to math this out because that's what we do here, is math. Because I mean, if I, if you miss if you miss one when you're only trying for like two correct, and you only miss one, I mean the loss of points isn't that severe. It's you go from there's three no to loss. One. No, oh, there's no loss at two, correct? So, uh, sorry, at two correct. Right. Uh, so, so if you you're trying for two, if you're trying for two. And you yep. get one of them wrong, you get one point versus three points. No, you get one point versus one point. Wait. Yeah. Are if we, are we get, talking? If let's get, let's yeah. break it down this way, Aaron. If yeah. you if you know the answer to question one, dead to rights, it's worth one yeah. point. If yeah. you are uncertain on the answer to question two, with that one point in the bank, you can either 
take a guess at it and earn two additional points or versus losing no points whatsoever because your first question is still already worth one or you could stand pat at the one point you already have so there is no risk uh until you get to that third answer because then you potentially lose more points than you would have for not having gambled right no no, no I, I i understand i understand that part of it but i'm saying it with greater risk comes greater reward and of course greater loss as well if you're going for just two questions correct your maximum outcome is three points mm. Whereas if you are, if you're pushing and you get five and you know four of them, you know four dead to rights, is it worth your time to really push on that fifth one knowing maybe it's sketchy and knowing that you have the potential to hit 15 points, but to lose, if I'm, if my math is right on this one, over 70% of your over expected outcome to drop to just four points, is it really worth it? Or do you just go for the four for four and take 10 points? Uh, knowing that, that I, I love that mechanic simply because there is so much at stake. There mm -hmm. is a gambling mechanic without you even wagering a single point because mm -hmm. it's already, that gamble is already inherently built yeah, it's into hard the mechanic. In and I love, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and can I say, I, and I want to go back to it too, the wagering mechanic. I do a wager mechanic and I do a capped mechanic like Jason used to do. Mine's a little bit different and we'll talk about this in a little bit. But I have never been a fan of the all-in mechanic, especially at Pub Trivia. I've mm. never been a huge fan of that because you can have a team that's been kind of languishing down in the lower tier all of a sudden breakthrough have a giant have have that final question right and all of a sudden leap a whole bunch of teams to get into like that podium position and to me it feels a lot of people love it because it's, it gives you that anything can happen kind of feel sure oh, we don't know what's going to happen here to me it almost feels like it's a for the teams that are doing well for the teams that have performed well you deserve something for that. So having something like the accumulator, something like the garden path, something with a capped mechanic to it, it feels like there is a reward still for having done well versus, well, uh, you were you were leading all the way into it, but then somebody just overtook you at the end. Maybe you should have tried harder next time. So yeah. I, it kind of feels like it kind of gets back into that almost how do you feel about chaos and it's you know to an extent if we're gonna go like D, D alignments on this jay's mechanic is almost lawful tipsters is neutral and i would just like to introduce pure chaos into the mix <laughs> with okay. my panel because quite frankly and publicly acknowledging it both the garden path and the accumulator are inspirations for how i do my final mechanic Aww. um yeah, I mean, I just, I steal from both of you and then give you no credit for it. Uh, no, uh, no, but it was, they were inspirations because I wanted to have something that was going to take a little bit of time that could change the outcome of the game, but isn't something that's like a direct, you know, like with the garden path, you, you have to know 10 or 20 to get to 30, to get to 40, to get to the 
50. Very rarely can you jump in at say the 40 point and take a wild guess that just happens to work with 30 and then leads you to 50. Not saying I've done that exact process, but it's a very <laughs> rare thing that works. Uh, or, and it, do it doesn't work 90% of the time because wags are wags. Yeah, the option um, space is just so big. Yeah, but with my with the accumulator, they're not really related questions at all. So you might know, like, you don't have to answer them in a certain order. So, like, there's five questions there. You might know one, three, and five. You might know two and four. You might be me and know none of them. But there's... <laughs> There's five questions of variety of topics to pick from, but you don't need to know one to get two. Um, whereas mine, I only have three questions um, in mine, and I do have a wager mechanic for my question. However, with my mechanic, you cannot lose points for guessing. It is very strictly a, you have... You can wager up to your score or up to 100 points, whichever is lower. And then if if you guess on one part and you get it right, you get your wager. If you take it stab a stab at two parts of the question and you get them both right, you double your wager. And if you guess at all three parts and you get all three parts correct, you triple your wager. But if you answer... Any part incorrectly, you get zero points. Okay, so, so there's no loss of points. There's no loss of no points. No loss of earned points, I should say. There's no there's loss, loss of earned of points. Plus, it does incentivize you to play the game before. You can't just jump in at the final question and potentially win the game. Like, you have to have accumulated some points going into mm -hmm. the thing to have something to wager with. Um, but... And obviously getting more questions right in the game gives you a better shot, but you still have that cap of you can only wager 100. Now, the reason I chose that, I'll be completely honest, is because at the time when I started my game, Triv now had a limitation of 100 points wagered. Um, they don't anymore, but I decided not to change that element of mine because A, I like the easy math of 100 points, and B, it I have a 300 available points before the final. So at most you can double you can a perfect score is six hundred points. But the other thing is my questions are also distinct from one another. You don't have to know part one to get to part two to part three. But I do make them all related to one another somehow. So for example, I think the I, I've done like the phrase hook, line, and sinker. So question one was about Robert Hook. Question two was who's the who was the original host of What's My Line? And question three was about the baseball pitch, a sinker. So with mine, there's always the the three parts of it kind of go together to where if you can figure that out, it might help you because I always do it that two of the questions, the answers are in the are the answer and one of the questions the clue is in the ask itself or at least a part of the yeah answer. part of, yeah so um so i've done i think i did a jack janet and chrissy for three's company for from three's company for one i've done alvin simon and theodore 
Uh, did you do Tinker's Evers Chance? I did do Tinker's Evers Chance. Um, so there's a, and I'm just going to go ahead and add to the funny part of this because I just said it on stream. I said, I take a threesome and I turn it into a trivia question, <laughs> which is not what I meant. But we had just come off of questions about salami and inflagrante delicto. And then I said, I take a threesome and turn it into a question. And it wasn't what I intended. A trio was probably the word I wanted. No, no, you were right. <laughs> so I, you know, and I did, oh, there was one, you asked one recently in your game, Jason, it was a band called like Emerson Lake and something. Um, oh, Emerson Lake and Palmer, yeah. Palmer. Yeah, and Palmer. I did that for a, I, I used that for a final for okay. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And I think I asked about Ralph Waldo Emerson, Lake, uh, Lake something, um, and, or some lake in the U.S. And then I asked about the Palmer Candy Company. Um, hmm, all right. So, uh, but that's that's one thing that I do is that the questions are semi-related, but you can still answer them all distinctly from one another. Like I, I usually will have maybe one team and it's not the same team every week. I'll usually have one team that goes for all three parts and gets it. I have a couple of, I'll have a couple teams that will go for two parts and they'll get it. And I'll have several teams that'll just go for one part. Okay. Um, and then I do, I do every week get someone who goes for two parts and gets one part wrong. <laughs> so. But it's, it's very uh, so, much that nothing ventured, nothing gained right. kind of mentality. Mm. Right. But you also don't lose anything. So I think it encourages people to take that risk. To I, an extent. I would say so too, because you're playing in a sense, you're playing with house money. Yeah. So you're not going to lose anything that you've earned already, but um, you do have the option to double your money, essentially. So since we kind of accidentally stumbled onto this thing, this this m mm -hmm. moment of insight just popped into me, and I want to share it uh, and get your opinions on it, is how do you feel about a a wager mechanic-style final question where you you know earn points if you're right but lose points if you're wrong if teams have the option to abstain? I personally don't like giving teams the option to abstain. I know as players, you always have the option to not answer a question, but especially presenting from an online format, the teams answering questions are one of the main ways I interact with them. I mean, mm -hmm. I interact in the chat, but let's be honest, those of us who host online know that you always have a team that gives you joke answers or gives yeah. you commentary in their answers. And that's one of the ways we interact with our players as a host. And so I don't love the idea of making it so that teams will abstain from a question. Because if you're giving them the option to not even play... Well, I guess... I Let me rephrase the ask, because I, okay. I think it may be being interpreted differently than I intended it to. Um, let's say a situation comes up where you're hosting a pub quiz game, and you've decided the final question is worth a binary plus or minus 50 points. I think okay. we could all agree that that's probably not a great mechanic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, would you feel better about that mechanic if it was a trinary space? 
if you attempt this question and get it right, it's worth 50 points. If you attempt and get this question wrong, you lose 50 points. But if you don't submit an answer, you neither gain nor lose anything. Hmm. So, um, having... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, having seen this kind of thing in action um, on... Uh, not not in the pub, pub quiz space specific, specifically, but in uh, game show style streams, much like uh, Ash and Ben host. Um, and I know I harp on about them on this podcast. Oh, by all means. And I, um, as you're saying this it occurs to me that basically what i'm describing is that moving on to the next step of who wants to be a millionaire style mechanic kind of yes but also um uh there is this um it as a final question i think it depends on how much that risk is worth Mm -hmm. in um when weighed up with the rest of the game if you catch my drift like if it's if it's an all you know if it's a double or nothing question then yeah giving the option to abstain feels healthy kind of I'm, prudent, I'm not right yeah i'm not big on all or no, on double or nothing questions generally um because there, there are times when they can get very hairy. Right. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. If you know, if your double or nothing question is something that, oh, there's an extra answer I wasn't expecting, uh, <laughs> then that gets very difficult to fix. Right. Um, uh, but with just a straight point value assigned to it, so you know, nobody, nobody's wagering more points than any other team. Nobody's at risk more than any other team, per se. Um, I mean, admittedly, this is a purely hypothetical scenario that popped into mind. I think my personal answer to this question is uh, you're just trying to fix a bad premise at this point. I, I think so, because if you take into account, let's say, let's say I'm a third place team and I know I'm third place going into this. Um I'm in a bit of a tight spot, right? Because either I go for this um, and I gain 50 points and keep whoever's behind me behind me and potentially gain some places. I don't go for it and people who are less than 50 points behind me jump me and take my place on the podium or I go for it and lose and I lose my place on the podium anyway. So there feels no incentive for players that are that high up to not attempt the question i feel okay even with abstaining because if the if the point space is very tight it's very difficult to maintain your position i i gotta say tipster because of the way in which you phrased everything in your answer my crazy ass brain has gone in another direction and i want to open this question up to the field now okay what if it's not about points what if it's about that position on the podium? What if you're just looking at the ranks on the leaderboards and you develop a final question mechanic uh, that's risk reward such that um, those who risk and succeed move up 
literally one spot on the leaderboard relative to the field. Those who risk and fail literally move down one spot relative to the field, and those who abstain don't change their position relative to anybody else who abstained. You're going to end up with a lot of ties. <laughs> I mean, you might. It would definitely need some finessing and, and some theory crafting, but for whatever reason, because of the way that you were saying things, my thought was, well, if we're sitting here nitpicking over how many points a final question kind of mechanic should be, mm. what if we distill the points down to their essence, which is where you're at on the leaderboard? Like the third place team in your scenario, if they were right, they would move up to second, assuming nothing else changed. If they were wrong, they would move down to fourth, assuming nothing else changed. Now, obviously, yeah. it's not going to be this case, the case because everybody is all moving relative to each other and you got to kind of calculate that out. But there's, I, I kind of want to explore that as a concept now. Where it's not about there's, raw there's scores, no it's about positioning. It's almost like each question adds to a win-loss total for your mechanic. Yeah, like an ELO rating kind of situation. Yeah, I, I like I, I, I like that, but I can see where people might kind of kind of be put off by that a little bit. It, oh, sure. I feel like it by the at the point at which you're starting to go into the deep calculations of it, like how different things interact like let's say you know two people both get it correct and the person above them abstains what happens there um trying to explain that would get too difficult no right. for sure like, and how it... would you like in tipster's hypothetical place third place is debating whether or not they want to risk it to move up to second or risk it and fall down to fourth well what a fourth team just decides uh, well, I'm just going to, like, what if fourth team decides I'm just going to stay because I get to keep fourth place either way? It's like, so then you have two people in fourth place. So Yeah, do no, there definitely the needs to yeah. be deeper thought on yeah. how this would actually mechanically work. Yeah. Mm. And but I was the, the broad strokes idea of moving up the... rank-wise versus points-wise and, and vice versa. There's, the... The, there's, there's a thread I want to pull there. on that. Yeah, there's definitely something there. Um, I would heartily recommend um, watching uh, Topper One Gaming. Uh, I was just going to say Topper Elimination. Yeah. Elimination, and I was going to come up to that later. Um, uh, no, let's get into it now. What the hell are you talking about? So yeah. uh, this is a game show that um, one of uh, my friends uh, Topper runs on Twitch, um, which is based around this idea of you get a question right, you kind of float to the top of a leaderboard. If you get it wrong, you kind of sink to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And everybody, and you get to abstain once and once only, and you kind of go in the middle of those two. If you're at the bottom of the leaderboard at any time, you are eliminated from the format. And that's how the game show plays out. Ah, so that's how kind of much. playing for position... Um, that's how playing for position, in my mind, would end up filtering out in a simple way that's explainable. Um, yeah, I guess I was visualizing kind of like a, a runged ladder. And you're yeah. on rung X. You can move up a rung, down a rung, or stay on your rung. But it, then, as, as people have repeatedly pointed out, what happens in those scenarios where we're two rungs away from each other and I moved up and you moved down? We are yeah, objectively uh, on the same rung. <laughs> 
at what point do you know when do you apply each of those effects what is on the stack first as my friends who play mm -hmm. magic could say um you know that's that's kind of the difficulty with that if you turn around and go right and it'll be applied it'll be applied from bottom first um as a then that means that the person who's Hmm. Huh. <laughs> huh. We are down a rabbit hole now. We are down Welcome a rabbit hole. Welcome to the next this, part of Quadrivia, where we this is, talk this about is theoretical game mechanics. And this is something. Well, to be fair, to be fair, I was going to talk about theoretical game mechanics anyway because I've had some ideas for um, uh, final question and round mechanics for a while. Some that I've seen in the wild, mm -hmm. others that have been kind of cycling in my head for a while now. Um, and th this is kind of a thought exercise for me. Um, because if you apply it from the bottom up, if second place gets it correct and first place abstains, second jumps to first, first stays where they are. If you p apply it from the top down, so the, the worst that first can do is second. Mm -hmm. If you apply it from the top down, first abstains, second moves up, third moves up, fourth moves up. Right. So you, you'd you'd have to apply uh, it the it seems like the fairest way to do it would be to apply all effects from the bottom up at which point the risk how about this yeah how about we take the idea and actually make it mathematically viable and say instead of moving up one position or down one position just every question is worth plus one or minus one point and, and let the leaderboard naturally sort itself out there. We have now officially mm -hmm. come full circle. <laughs> there you go. Okay. And we assigned okay. points to things again. I but, uh, <laughs> really quickly want to go through some ideas that I've had for final rounds. If people are okay with that. Oh, absolutely. Fire away. Unless somebody wants to jump in and interject first before I get on my soapbox. Well, I was going to say, I've got a weird final question mechanic and it's something that kind of uses a lot of things that have already been discussed but are kind of applied in an interesting way so if you don't mind go right ahead okay so my final my final question mechanic i do a list question so it's you know n there is a list of x number of items you have to name me five Start there. Okay. Five. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're obligated in participating to name five. Correct. In okay. in obligating in participating to name me five. Here's the here's the trick of it all. There is a wager mechanic on it. I do a capped wager of thirty points. Thirty points is twenty points twenty percent of my max value. Okay. And considering most of my games, I don't get more than seventy percent of a score. So 70% of 150, 105. 30% still con consists of a fairly sizable number of points to wager up yeah. to. Hmm. So you can wager of anywhere between 0 and 30. If you get three of your five answers correct, it is a complete push. Okay. You huh. don't gain ground, but you don't lose ground either. If you get four correct, you are rewarded with a 50% return on your wager. So if you wager the full 30, 
you get 45 points. Or you'd get an extra, basically like a bonus 15 points kind of thing I, yeah, to I your see score. Yeah. And if you get all five of yours correct, you double your wager. So you get whatever you wager. So 30, you'd have, you'd have that 60 points. Mm-hmm. Less than that, you lose your wager. And how do I incentivize people at least to try to answer the question? You abstain. You lose the full value. You lose the max. Okay, so if you, you don't answer or you answer in an illegal way, you lose the full 30, whether you lose or the not full you 30. intended on wagering 30. Correct. Uh, as if, if you follow the rules and give a five-guess answer, you at least get to mitigate the risk of losing a maximum of 30 points. So if you can name me at least two of them, if you can name at least two... Why not try and sort and see if you can figure it out for another three? You're going to have a few, you know, you okay. have a few minutes to think about it. So why not at least try for three and see if you can at least come in right where you left off? And the reason why I started doing that is because I've seen other places that do like a like this kind of mechanic where it's an all mm-hmm. or nothing. And it's a list style thing. Mm-hmm. There's no mitigation like as in uh, tipsters. Where it's, you just drop to a bottom level. It's, you miss one answer wrong, you lose your points. Thank you, have a nice day. And I think that's, it, there's no incentive for me to play at that point. To, to, your, to your end, Jason, how do you get people to play? Make it so that people can feel at least involved, even if they try. Right. Knowing that they can at least end up where they left off. I like that. That's that's well thought out, I will say. You try and explain it to people and they kind of give you that, that sideways dog look after a while. Like, oh, this sure. doesn't make any sense to me at all, but let's see it play out first. Hmm. Just because I want to be able to have people to participate, take a shot, take a risk. Because if you don't, you're going to be risking by far more than that. Yeah, I I think for me it's the fifty percent level that makes it confusing. Like if you had four, mm-hmm. you get you know your four wager back, and five you get double back. Then I think that just in terms of understanding the concept, just makes it that slight bit easier to present. Um, but I it's definitely an innovative concept, and I. I'd love to see how it plays out, honestly. Mm-hmm. We can try it sometime. Yeah, I've, I've played around with similar thoughts in kind of a theory crafting sense where it's if you hit a certain par mark, you you know, you neither gain nor lose anything. Mm-hmm. If you hit, you know, kind of the goal mark, you get your bet. But if you go above and beyond, you get a bonus on top of what you wagered. And that's more or less what you've got going on here. That's so more I, or less what this is. I've theory crafted similar things in the past for sure. And I think mm-hmm. there is a lot of value in it. I never found uh, an implementation that I loved for me, mostly because I don't love doing list questions, nothing against them. Um, in a in a pub trivia context, I love the, I'm going to ask you X and you give me Y. Um, as a bonus style question or like a halftime style question, they're great. I don't know that I I personally would theme it as a uh, as a final question for no other reason than internal stylistic choice. 
Mm. And it, 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 I think that is. It's a stylistic choice. I don't mind doing them. I have been, I had done them for a while. You know, it's part of who I am. It's part of what I do. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's a you do you kind of situation. Definitely, when it comes to that kind of question. Yeah. So off the back of that, um, one of the ideas that I've had in the past for a final round, very much inspired by Wipeout by Eliminator. Um, and just kind of all of that and also um, Sucker Punch uh, or Knockout, I think it's called, um, is giving them a question with an answer space of like 10 to 12 answers. Six are right, six are wrong. You can give me as many as you like, but give me a wrong answer and zero. Um, The more points, the more answers you give me, the more they're worth um, kind of thing. uh, the other thing that I kind of messed around with for a while was a race style round um, where the first team that's in and correct gets maximum points, second team gets less, and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, if you get it wrong, that's it. You're frozen out for the question. You're done. You get zero. Um, and I've seen that done in pub quizzes, actually. I've seen that done as a final in... In, in the kind of who am I style way, like uh, PQB Live in, do, in the but as a final. Yeah. Um, uh, and Jay, you have an element of the race style to your garden path in that if there's a tie, it's whichever team got their answer in first. Yeah, that's pure laziness. Oh, well. <laughs> no, that's absolutely, I'm okay. tired of having to come up or prepare tiebreaker questions so now i have this big complicated question uh in the event that we have a tie that matters uh for prizes or awarding you know the championship for the week or whatever it's i whichever team answered this question first uh i have timers down to the millisecond uh on submissions through the TribNow platform so the odds that any two team i would need an additional tie break are so slim that I'm not concerned about them. I think I think it even records more than that on the back end. If I think it does yeah. too. <laughs> you ask people very nicely in that situation. It didn't well see, break that though. See, you, you you call it pure laziness. I call it pure genius. I mean, hey hey, think think smarter, not harder. Exactly. Or I, whatever I was gonna it is. S- and I was going to say to that end on the you you had brought up wipeout earlier. And Tipster, mm. y- your method almost kind of employs that wipeout style already. Yeah, where it's that where it's that building to the greater risk. The more answers you get right, the more mm. points you get. But you miss one, boom! You get the you get the you get the oh noise, and you get <laughs> Bob not... Bob Bob Monkhouse is turning in his grave right now at this point. So uh, probably yes. Uh... <laughs> So, um, to swerve us real quick before I forget, and as we kind of get closer to the end of uh, wrapping up this discussion, we've talked about you know two primary ways that you can do final questions or final rounds, and one is you know having a single presented question with one or possibly multiple answers. The other is having a round or a connected chain of questions with distinct answers. I would like to take a moment and and shout out our dear friend uh, Jeff from RMT Trivia for what I think is an incredibly innovative creative final question slash round mechanic and his is a mystery theme his Mm -hmm. final round is always a mystery theme uh such that he presents you five questions and then 
the actual thing you're answering is, what do the answers to each of these five questions all have in common? You don't have to submit any of the answers. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know more than one or two of the answers in theory to get the mystery theme right. Uh, so he can play them a little tougher because the interplay is really what kind of matters. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's it's absolutely inspired because you don't, from from a pure mechanical hosting perspective, you don't have to grade five to six answers in that round. You grade one answer. And that one answer in theory shows that you have sussed out enough knowledge from the five questions to earn, say, a wager. Yeah, I, uh, but it also, and I love that mechanic too. It's uh, to, um, to the credit of, do you need to know more than two answers? Yeah, I mean, it it has that also reward in there of teams who can figure it out because I know that uh, one of his games that I played was uh, th that theme was I figured out two or three of the questions and I guessed burger toppings and the correct answer was pizza toppings was what mm -hmm. the theme was. And because I couldn't suss out answers four and five, I didn't, you know, I didn't get credit for it, even though he's like, I almost wanted to take it because of, you know, it was so close, but there was something in there that was like that something was that would not have been found on a burger. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like and Canadian bacon or something. Now I'm hungry. What? Wait, 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 hold on. You... You can have Canadian bacon on a burger. We do that over here. I mean, you can. I'm not saying you can't, but you can put anything on a burger, tipster. You're British. Yeah, you should know this. Yeah, yeah, we just call it ham over here. So. Apart, from, <laughs> apart from chicken, apparently. Chicken isn't a burger. It's... Cottage bacon. I would argue that if the answer ground beef came up, that that's definitely your uh, delineating difference. Because, because you can't put ground beef as a topping on a burger, kind of by definition. <laughs> You, can. you can it would just be very messy <laughs> and jeff's not even on this episode not yeah, only have we brought him up but we brought up what doesn't doesn't constitute a sandwich uh yeah. feels on brand <laughs> yes but uh i was just gonna say one last thing here uh that, that uh, you brought up jeff's mechanic very reminiscent of uh the flora's mechanic at the end of their podcast where they give three questions. Oh, the Big Bang, yeah. The Big All of the questions lead to what can help you figure out the final question. And they provide a final question, so you can do it one of two ways. You can use the clues and figure out the final answer, or you can answer the question and get the final answer. So it's like a double-pronged attack on it. And both can help you out. And that's another one that I love, too. Answer the three questions to help you, or just answer the final one and see if you can get there. Yeah, and to give a little more context for people who haven't heard Quiz Quiz Bang Bang, and seriously, go listen to Quiz Quiz Bang Bang, uh, especially the episode I'm on. It's awesome. Um, pew pew. So the, the three leading questions are generally a little easier. Uh, the final question, the one where the answer literally matters, uh, is generally a much harder question. Like Final Jeopardy level. So yeah, you can answer it in a vacuum, but it is a tough question. Now, if you combine what you think the answer might be based on the clues from the answers of the previous three more gettable questions, then you absolutely have a bigger stake. You have a bigger hand. Uh, you know what it is more like Lily. 
So I, I think that's very creative. Uh, I thank you, Aaron, for bringing that up. Uh, we have not shouted out Quiz Quiz Bang Bang on this podcast yet, to my knowledge, and we are long overdue. Love the Floras. Go listen to the Floras. They're awesome people. <laughs> They're right, the ones uh, who hosted the UNICEF fundraiser, right? They are. They are the ones who okay. put together the uh, 24-hour Twitch streamathon uh, for UNICEF back in like May, I want to say. Um, really, really solid people. Go stop listening to my podcast and our podcast and go listen to theirs right now. We'll we'll wait. We'll be here when you get back. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. I think we've taken the uh, Canadian bacon off the bone on this topic. Any last licks anybody wants to uh, get in before we kind of transition on out? I, I think we're good. I think I think we've exhausted it. But if uh, you out there have any ideas for final question rounds, uh, fi- final questions or final round mechanics uh, that you feel, you know, that we didn't touch on, if you've got anything you want to contribute to the conversation, uh, feel free to uh, tweet at us at QuadriviaPod on Twitter or drop us an email, QuadriviaPod at gmail.com, and um, hopefully we'll discuss them in a future show. Yeah, I'd love to get some engagement from the listeners. I'd love to know if your local uh, pub trivia company or your favorite online streamer or game show does uh, an interesting final question mechanic that we didn't touch uh, based with. We're also looking for stuff to talk about before we talk about stuff, so please feed us ideas. Also, and, I think we're still looking for people's anecdotes as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we want to we want to hear your pub trivia stories. We want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly. We want to hear about the funny wrong answer you gave. We want to hear about uh, the way in which uh, you know your favorite pub trivia host worded a thing weird so that technically spam was a correct answer um, to burger toppings or whatever. We want to know these stories. Please share them with us early and often. And with that, should we just uh, jump right into this week's keyword challenge? Because we're talking about our dear listeners? Yes. Okay, I will take two people as a uh, consensus here. So the keyword challenge for those of you just joining us 68 episodes into the stream uh, is an opportunity for us to flex our writing chops, our creative chops, and uh, our research ability chops in figuring out uh, the best question-answer combo we can put together uh, based on one specific keyword, a keyword that we won't know until just a few moments when it's revealed publicly. These keywords are all submitted by listeners like you. They're submitted through our website, quadriviapodcast.com. Uh, and if you want to submit yours, we will get to it. I promise you, we're always looking for good ones. Uh, this week, the keyword is brought to us by a friend of ours in the trivia world, uh, the creator of Triv Tac Toe and uh, recently Tap Out Trivia. On Twitch, this is from Phil Wrighthouse, based all the way in right across the uh, state line for me in Indiana. You guys ready to hear the keyword? Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that you guys. Wee wee. Yes, yes, I am ready to hear the keyword. Sorry, am I I on like a weird ass delay in our recording? No, I think. uh, I think what happened is. Uh, Steam decided to start downloading something, and uh, (laughs) I started having weird ass delay. Ah, okay. Me personally, I am salivating over the thought of what this keyword could be. It, you know, it's a pretty sweet uh, keyword. I find it to be savory sometimes. Our keyword for this week's episode is pastry, my friends. So oh. get to baking those wonderful questions, and we will see you and the listeners on the other side of this break. And we are back from an invigorating, and dare I say supple, 
10 minute halftime break. Hopefully uh, you guys stretched, did some light yoga and maybe wrote a question. Uh, today's keyword once again brought to us by Phil Wrighthouse in Indiana is pastry and I am salivating at the thought of it already. Aaron, what direction did you decide to take this keyword? Off a cliff where I usually end up with these things. Uh, my question is this, with a name that sounds like it should be used during a more jolly time of year, what Scandinavian pastry delight and interpretation of the more commonly known pretzel is so twisted it lends its name to a similar protein entanglement? Oh, this is an interesting one. And by oh. that, I mean, I have no friggin' idea. <laughs> okay. Like, I see hints in there, but they don't get me anywhere is the fundamental right. problem. Swedish... Well, Scandinavian, not necessarily Swedish. Mm -hmm. um, oh, pastry, Scandinavian pastries, but not a pretzel. Like I feel like a Danish, by definition, is a Scandinavian pastry. Yeah, but does that ring a more jolly time of year? Nah, not in and of itself, it doesn't. Unfortunately, you don't celebrate Danish Day. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> That's just Mondays, guys. <laughs> hold on, oh. hold on. Sorry, I've been waiting since the last episode we uh, were on together to, to drop this. I, in this case, with this question, I don't think I have a Scooby. Oh, you ain't got a Scooby? Okay. Yeah, yeah a Scooby-Doo, you know, a great Dane okay. on this question that I'm stuck on Danishes <laughs> with. Oh! <laughs> um, so... I... Uh, I have like a weird out of left field feel okay. and it, it's really dumb, but there was, um, like, I, I, I honestly, I have no idea if this is even a thing, but where I used to live in Washington, there was a place okay. down the street that specialized in like Scandinavian pastries. Okay. Right. And I never went in because they were only open like during the morning hours when I'm not awake. Um, but it was something along the lines of Pringles Bakery. And I always thought it was like a Christmas-themed um, pastry shop. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh! I thought you said Pringles for a second. Is <laughs> it like the, the, the reconstituted potato snack that is not a crisp? They can't legally call them crisps. Oh, they can over here. They just can't call them chips over here. What? Yeah, no, you can't legally call... Uh, Pringles potato chips in the U.S. and you can similarly not legally call them potato crisps in the U.K. So you can call them potato crisps here uh, because they need to have some kind of specific potato content by volume, I believe, uh, to to like according to the FDA uh, be given the, the 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 moniker potato chips and then so alternately crisps in the U.K. Well, it's the fact they're reconstituted as opposed to. Uh, yeah, something, so, yeah, something along at line. Christmas time, can I get red and green cans and call them crisp Pringles? Sure. Okay. I don't um, know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you, you said Pringle. Pringle sounds jolly. I'm good to go with it. Yeah, go with Pringle, it. Pringle, yeah. I mean, I don't know where the protein entanglement comes in unless that's called like a crinkle or something. Uh, or, I don't know. I think Kringle's going to be my answer. And I, I realize I, I should probably think we're going to crib that. <laughs> to, to be fair... <laughs> proteins are named weird things mm -hmm. like scientists have a weird sense of humor agreed because the entanglement itself kind of looks like a pretzel and resembles this baked good it's literally called 
and it's found in uh, coagulation factors as well. Uh, it's literally called the Kringle domain. Your answer for this one is a Kringle. Very nicely done on that one, Brittany. I did not have the foggiest. This is outside my wheelhouse, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, if, if I didn't drive by that bakery all the time wondering why it was called Kringles, probably never would have thought of it. But Kringles, yeah, but... huge in Wisconsin. Ah, okay. The jolly time of year clue in that wording was, was very much a, once you have the right answer in mind, it's a confirmation style clue. I don't know if it's a mm -hmm. kind of backdoor gettable clue, um, at least for my mileage, because there's a lot of things that could be you know, jolly times of year. Um, the protein entanglement was just kind of a neat fact. I'm pretty sure nobody outside the context of like biochem is going to, to get in through that door. Uh, I think it's, a, I think it's a fine and a fair question. It just was not something I knew. So it's hard for me to kind of opine on it from a place of ignorance, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I, I, like the hints you used and the ends you had if you and it, it would play well regionally i think especially if you were near wisconsin um or narnia or narnia sure um wisconsin <laughs> where it's always or winter narnia. <laughs> or narnia. um but yeah i like i said i i possibly wouldn't have known it except i drove past a kringles bakery a lot now I know what it was, and now I wish I had gone. So, because I love soft pretzels. I feel like so. two and a half of us just learned a thing about Scandinavian pastries during this question. Yeah, Yeah, probably. okay, just because I'm on a two-foot-tall chair doesn't mean I'm less than one person. Well, I mean, you half knew it was a Scandinavian pastry word. You just didn't know that it was the type of pastry and not, you know, the name <laughs> of the proprietor. Oh, gotcha. You meant I was that person who half knew. I <laughs> you're calling me half a person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh no i thought it was i thought it was well done yeah no I it's an absolutely cromulent question uh and mm -hmm. a direction to take the the pastry keyword that i don't think any of us were going to accidentally stumble upon so kudos for taking it in a place of probably uniqueness yeah yeah it's definitely less of a dumpster fire than my question is I, for sure so <laughs> i i definitely it's it's definitely something that isn't in my wheelhouse so it's difficult for me to judge but i'm just going through scandinavian pastries in my head and i'm like what scandinavian pastries do i know and the answer is do they none. make a keen of furniture out of them because that's that's where i know all my scandinavian terms is from having been to ikea a lot lately oh, no, that's yes. a good question though aaron i like it oh he just looked up a picture of a kringle i've seen those before now i want one so <laughs> Um, You've probably seen it. Let's have let's have a look. Let's. Yeah, if you've if you've seen Kringle, the ones that the true Danish ones look like pretzels, but the ones that you've probably seen are like ring shaped, filled with like jam, and then they have mm -hmm. like okay frosting on the top. I've had a Kringle before mm -hmm. when I lived in Iowa. Ah, so it's yeah, a, I don't know that I ever have, but uh, they they look reminiscent of food. So you got that going for you. <laughs> It's an iteration of it. Aha. It's an iteration of a food. Speaking of iterations, do you guys want to hear my iteration of this question? We could. Okay, well, we don't have to. I'm more than happy to skip. <laughs> I... Sure, go right ahead. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Let's not do me. Because I just, I realized I was looking at the wrong part of the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to drop the line. 
You guys took the nice time to put us in order of what makes sense. Because reading is fun. Oh, she read. She just skipped ahead. Is the problem? <laughs> like I do a lot of the times. Let's 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 do someone else's question. Okay, here goes. Uh, get 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 those arms ready for a stretch on this one. Uh, far from the delicate and flaky pastry that his surname suggests. American billionaire David and his fellow Stanford dropout Jerry co-founded what website, which was the second most visited site in 1996 and has stood strong to this very day, ranking eighth in worldwide traffic. I've got this on lock and I like the tangential way you connected this to pastry. Uh, David and Jerry co-founded a website mm -hmm. they didn't give their last names no so so that makes me think that the websites probably contains the last names i just feel like this is a very serious question <laughs> huh? i i i i see what you did there uh, i don't unfortunately it, to be fair it takes a bit of an einstein to, to navigate that <laughs> Oh, are these like bagels? Like Einstein brother bagels? No, they are not, unfortunately. We're, we're oh. going a different direction with the wordplay between uh, I, and myself. I don't know which way you're going with the wordplay, which is worrying me. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Tipster might be a little young for the reference. That is that is true. So delicate and pastry makes me think of like croissants. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick assist here, Brittany. Don't focus uh -huh. too much on the pastry connection because it, it's definitely going to play as a red herring. Okay. Yeah. Eighth in worldwide traffic. So it's not going to be something like a Google because Google's probably higher than eighth. Could be like a Yahoo or a... I don't know. I think it's all right. I I, I don't want to hear her twist in the wind. Could, on no, it could be like a Yahoo, and it, it is it a Yahoo? Probably is a Yahoo. Yeah, yes, formerly called Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web. Uh, Jerry and David's oh. Guide to the World Wide Web, uh, then renamed to yet another hierarchical officious oracle, aka Yahoo, uh, in 1995. Uh, it's the only website in the top 10 from 1996 that's kind of still going um and uh the pastry reference david philo oh philo being uh david's surname now uh, what were your jerry, jokes that jerry you were trying is jerry to... yang in this context jerry right? yang okay. yes not David's a poker player jerry yang i can't remember so thank See, you for the pastry connection to, to i was gonna I, reminder i was gonna make the reference that we all gang up on this question but uh <laughs> It's a different kind of yang. Yeah, and and for the benefit of those who didn't pick right. up uh, Aaron and my terrible coded language, uh, Yahoo Sirius is an Australian actor who apparently has been in three movies, but only one you've ever heard of, maybe called Young Einstein. Oh, I haven't heard of that movie. Oh God, so bad. It's it's schlocky good. So so bad. Okay. It's it's yeah Yahoo Sirius did some movies and. Australian born and yes, young Einstein. Hmm. Uh, go find it if you haven't seen it, and when you do, try and scrub your brain of it if you can try. 
He he split the beer molecule, Aaron. What? He no, that was like the, the major plot point of that film is he found a way to, to split the beer atom or whatever. <laughs> what? We never said it was good. <laughs> All right, so this question. Uh, I like it. I mean, I, I really do like it. It you, you kind of run through that list of what websites would be would have been around 25 years after mm-hmm. this whole started. So you kind of have to tick through what would have existed in 96 and what would have been big then and then what would be big now still because of that. So it does lead you down a very specific path to an answer. And mm. even if you can't kind of get around the fact of the... The David and the Jerry, I feel like that kind of the, just kind of like mind the front clue is that confirmation when you can kind of figure out Yahoo, David. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as you know who that is. As long as you know who that is. Yeah. And once you guys, once you said that it was once known as David and Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web, I do remember that fact now, but I don't think I would have pulled it out of the ether per se. Yeah, but that's, I'm that's pretty sure there's a, I think that's a lot, a lot of people would pull it out of the ether though yeah the the names of the founders and the names by which it was iterated through before it became yahoo that comes up a fair amount in pub trivia from my experience so this this hit in that uh difficulty and kind of exposure space uh at least here in the u.s tipster i think it's a very well done question um i will i will say the quiet part loud the connection to pastry is definitely tangential but this isn't us experimenting with ways to write questions about pastries it's ways for us to write questions that involve the word pastry so you have absolutely fit uh the intent of the keyword challenge successfully (laughs) i fit the letter maybe not the spirit is what you're telling me there (laughs) hey the rules are it's got to be in the question or the answer and it very much is and it's not just tacked on it's it's a connective piece of information it's not a linchpin piece of information but it's it's in there it belongs in there and it does arguably help you get if not the answer the confirmation all right i suppose we should move into my attempt now is that right uh, I mean, on. unless you want me to jump I, line again. I, I need to double check the notes and make sure on that one. Uh, I, yeah. Jason. Yeah, that looks like your yeah. name. Yeah, no, that's your name. Why don't you do it? All right. I'll graciously let you have this one. That's very kind of you. Now I anticipate uh, some stuff that happens with this one. So we'll see if I'm right or paranoid when I ask this. Uh, the national flag of Tunisia consists of four visual elements. A red field, a white circle, a red star, and a fourth element that, based on its language prevalences, about two out of three natives might refer to by what specific term, typically reserved for use in describing pastry. Right. So, Tunisia, this is... Uh, well, it's a star, so it's likely going to be with a, a moon, usually. Uh... Mm. I think the flag of Tunisia has the crescent moon on it. So crescent. Okay. So, so and considering Tunisia, like a lot of those northern African countries, tend to have a lot of French influence to so it. Croissant. I was thinking croissant on that one. If it's if it's a crescent. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. That that fits the bill. Um, I, I'm Red glad you said that. Not Kringle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're gonna 
Yeah, we're gonna go like with the green. I think it's crescent. Yeah. Wait, what's that, Brittany? I want to be sure. Uh, I think we're saying crescent, or are we saying uh, no, cre- croissant? Saying croissant because that would be the pastry. But he's asking for the flag element. So in native language, they might say croissant, but they would be describing crescent, right? right that for the based on its language flag? reference, uh, they might call it a croissant on the flag because they're because they are French speakers. Ah, okay. I'm happy to go with either of those. I think we're on the right track. And uh, croissant is the answer I was looking for. And thank you, Aaron, for kind of uh, speaking out the things that I would that I had some. I don't want to say issues, but concerns about with the wording of this question, because ultimately I just wanted to get to the point where we're asking for the French word for crescent. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I was able to find in the Venn diagram of, of countries that have the you know standard kind of Arabic world crescent on their flags, plus uh, predominantly French speaking countries. Uh, Tunisia does or Tunisians, I should say, uh, do speak a lot of French these days, uh, a little less than they used to. It's not the official language and hasn't been for a while, but still approximately 64% of uh, native Tunisians can or do speak French. It's a bit of a prestige language out there. Uh, It's used in like schools and government and business, Uh, but it is, it's definitely a popular enough language out there to this day that, you know, if you sampled Th- you know, a, a random pulling of three Tunisians, uh, ask them to give me a word for that thing on the flag, you know, that there's a likelihood they would say croissant because that is the French term for crescent. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Okay, yeah. I I, I do think you'll get a lot of people answering crescent with that. That's That's my only worry, is that trying to guide them into the ask... Is the difficulty there? Yeah, and that's that's fair because that was my concern, which is why probably sixty percent of the wording of this question is trying to scream the concept of a native language in Tunisia at you. Basically, pretty much everything Mm -hmm. after the words fourth element, uh, where it says based on its language preferences, about two out of three natives, which gives you an actual like statistical fact, might refer to by what specific term? There's another leading clue, typically reserved for use in describing pastry because the word crescent is not typically reserved for use in describing pastry but croissant at least to people who aren't native french speakers very much is yeah yeah i i'd agree with that i i think yeah that i anticipate there would be pushback on this question i'll be the first to admit it uh, just a just a quibble nothing nothing major on that one what if you change the word it's to uh Instead of based on its language prevalences, based on a language prevalence? Uh, I wanted to be clear that the language prevalences were referring to Tunisia specifically grammatically, which is why I used its, the possessive there. Uh, the the its is works for Tunisia, but if you go based on a, uh, then you're referring to the natives afterwards instead. Yeah, but that feels like it's broader and open to more kind of parsable interpretation because it's just an article and I... It, it doesn't pin it to anything else in the ask, just to say Fair a enough. language prevalence. I get I get your point. I very much mm. do. And like a revision of this question would probably narrow that scope a bit further and, and pin it to the concept of Tunisian uh, common languages better. I just I unfortunately think... don't think that that change would be the change. Right. Yeah, I think with more than 10 minutes, this would be a perfectly... Mm-hmm. No, I can't. No, the, no, brain. 
Do not yep. make some sort of weird joke between <laughs> cromulent and croissant. It doesn't work. I think Burger King just came out with a croissant, didn't they? <laughs> a croissant. It's an it's an uh, it's a croissant omelet sandwich. Croissant? What? No. Croissant? No. <laughs> I can't. I can't Why? French very well. That sounds like a banger of a sandwich to me. <laughs> and in this context, a banger is a callback <laughs> to a previous episode. <laughs> hey, Brittany, do you have a question or are we just going to have you try to ask a question every time somebody asks a question? <laughs> oh, I'm going to try to ask you a question here. And yeah, okay. Oh. In the classic I'll Have What He's Having scene of my fan-made parody when Harry met Weasley, what magical foodstuff is swapped for a corned beef sandwich, despite its use of squash rather than the traditional meat? Though the traditional shape was kept so Harry could give Ron the D-shaped pastry. Ooh, this is an ogre of a question. It's got layers. Uh, okay, first question, does this fan-made parody exist? <laughs> no. Okay. That's why it's my fan-made parody. <laughs> But that's, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm have you made this? Because if a hard not, time. you should. Yeah, I'm going to conceive that I'm having a hard time getting in to this question. So I've got that it's a pasty, um, like traditionally D-shaped, and pastry screams pasty to me, um, especially considering that you know, Harry Potter is is very British in origin. Screams Cornish pasty is uh, uh, traditional meat, so it's just what what it's been swapped out for. That's I can't quite yeah, grasp. When I see corned beef sandwich, my head goes to Reuben, and I'm going to Rubius Hagrid, and I am way way off the ask here. And that's a that's a different kind of that's that's reserved for OnlyFans, actually. I think <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore, but. <laughs> And now I'm seeing squash, and I'm thinking about that in the sports context. And plus pastry, I'm going to, like, Quidditch. <laughs> like, quiche, but Quidditch. What? Again, I I cannot, I am not into this question. Uh, I'm trying like hell, that's... and I'm not getting yeah, anywhere. I, yeah. I, I will admit right now, Harry Potter is a weak spot for me. Okay. Well, tipsters on the right track with pasty. And even with yeah. that, I'm not sure I, what I'm doing with it. It's just a case of what what squash is in a would would be in this pasty is the thing that's evading me. Um, I got it. Hagrid's nipple pasties, <laughs> or is that pasties? I don't. I. I am so glad that my tea wasn't cool enough to drink. <laughs> Sorry, bear with me a second. I I just need to. Um... Where, where is the brain? I, I, I got. I personally have to tap out on this. I I yeah, don't I have am, traction am... in any way, shape, or form. As I've much tapped. as much as Robbie Coltrane is. <laughs> An elegant swan of a person. 
No, I do not need the image of them with a massive beard and massive hair. Half naked. Bar. Some form of pasty covering their nipples. I... So he stops thinking about crackers tassels. Yeah, do we? Do we? Does anybody? Have I, anything I, I got nothing. Okay. I, I, I've got nothing past pasty, and I can't. I don't think I can go any further now because literally all my brain can think of when I think of the word pasty now is that. So thank you, Aaron. <laughs> all right. Do you want to? Do you want to put us out of our collective yeah. misery, Brittany? Yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm laughing too hard. <laughs> um, so this is just my shit take of a way to ask like about the pumpkin pasty in Harry Potter. Oh, uh, it's just called a pumpkin pasty. Okay, and it's it's a Cornish pasty that uses pumpkin instead of meat. But I didn't want to just come out and say pumpkin. So. Gotcha. This is also the third iteration of this question because so, the first one was ba- the first couple were kind of based on faulty assumptions of mine. Turns out I just didn't know what a pasty was. Not that they thought we were too. I I always thought that pasty was like the British word for pastry because not... of the other edits that were made to dumb it down for Americans. Um, so I always wonder why she didn't call it a pumpkin pastry. Turns oh, okay. out a pasty's just a certain type of pastry, which I learned like that it turned pie. into this. Okay. Yeah, I... but the pumpkin pasty is actually like one of the few magical food stuffs we know about in Harry Potter. Hmm. So, uh, and, and they do make them in real life now. So. Okay. I I'm gonna cons- I'm gonna admit that I I don't know what a pasty is. This is the first time I think in my life I've heard the word. Uh, and I've read the Harry Potter series. I don't recall the particular uh, food coming up. And again, that doesn't mean it didn't. It just means I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, there it's a was, hand pie. There was just a lot of stuff going on with this question. There was too much going on with this mm. question. I... Jay, ever had an empanada? I've an heard empanada. of them, but I haven't had one. Okay, that's similar it's to like, like an a, it's, it's like a past. Empanadas okay. and pasties are similar mm-hmm. across, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm notoriously weird when it comes to foods that normal people have had, so don't take this as criticism in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I just, my eyes crossed and glazed over when I read this question. I'm like, are we, is this a Harry Potter question? Is this a food question? Is this a pun question? Is this somehow it uh, was a Harry Potter a, food a Billy question. Crystal question? <laughs> I, I, I meant it sincerely when I said I could not get into what was going on with this because there's like four elements to this question and I I wasn't sure how any of them were relevant to the other ones or connected or were clues or were the ask uh, because I didn't have enough of any of the specific knowledges to to get a handhold in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just still getting over the fact that you think that I'm normal, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think what hit me more than anything else is my severe lack of Harry Potter knowledge on this one more than anything else and you could have given me you could have given me pumpkin and pasty i still wouldn't put it together on this one just because Mm -hmm. and it's not not due to the skill of the question writing by any means on this one uh though i've definitely 
learned two things. A pumpkin pasty is a magical treat from Harry Potter. And two, Ron fakes it. So... <laughs> no, this this says Brittany all over in, mm. in the voicing of this question. This is very on brand. Uh, you've had many, many questions that have gone over very well that have gone... Uh, to these lengths and made these kind of Britney style connections. So don't don't think that it's a bad question because I don't know what the hell's going on with it. I just didn't know what the hell was going on with it. I can admit it needs more finessing, but at that point I had written three questions and it wasn't getting any clearer. So I was just like, I, I have to go with this one. Fair enough. Plus I got to work in the way of to give on the D shaped pastry. Yeah, no, there are elements in this I very much liked. You you somehow connected multiple pop culture references that should, I would argue, never be connected. But you did it. You did it for us. You did it. You did it. You did it. Yeah. And listeners, if you think she did it for you, or if you liked uh, Aaron's question more, or tipsters, or other, uh, feel free to vote for your favorite on our podcast uh, website, quadriviapodcast.com, the poll uh, for your favorite of our keyword challenge questions will be posted alongside the release of this episode sometime in the I hope there is a future. <laughs> well, that was cheery. <laughs> I don't know. Things are still weird. It's in the this might of be everything. the final mechanics episode. I don't think it's the final <laughs> episode. So, I, I, where, I, Why I, couldn't we get a host named Mike on this episode? I mean, I tried to be fair, but all I needed was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> all right this oh. is flailing let's get into a game speaking of flailing tipster it's yours Yay. yeah it's my game and i only just got the mic and the mechanics joke uh <laughs> right Wait, uh, so i i have 10 questions for you that are taken from two rounds of my accumulator end game uh so this is the round that i was talking about earlier where um, players have the option to answer as few or as many questions as they like in this round. Um, question difficulty varies quite wildly. Some are definitely easier than others. They tend to vary across quite a few topics as well. Um, but we're just going to pose them to our three other quiz hosts here and see how they do. Um, so... Question one. In 1824, a British brickie called Joseph Aspdin patented a chemical process for the creation of what building material? Brickie. I, I assume the word brickie means bricklayer. Uh, That's yes. what I'm assuming too. Yes. That's just a little language barrier stuff. So it's slang for bricklayer. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of based on I that, figured. based on that, I would assume it's cement because that's what you lay between bricks yeah but that's existed for a long time aspidin 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 what building material drywall maybe i mean maybe yeah no like I plaster mean... like wall plaster i, I mean... might be going on a really weird tiff on this one and tell me i'm wrong i mean please do tell me i'm wrong aspidin how long has asbestos been produced Oh, uh, oh! I love that answer. I love that answer a lot. Yeah, because let's hate face it. it. Let's face it. Uh, it would make sense that a bricklayer would want to create something that's cancerous. Uh, yes, very <laughs> much so. I was thinking strong, fireproof, carcinogenic. Uh, will kill you in your sleep. Absolutely, all of those things and more. 
Yeah, well, the strong fire resistant and will like... kill you in your sleep does link asbestos and bricks. So <laughs> I'm okay with asbestos. Yeah, I'm I'm confident as in going an answer. To be an answer, yeah. <laughs> I, <I'm>... Okay. <laughs> so going for asbestos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you, it's cement. Um, <laughs> it is cement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, asbestos, I believe, is named after the place that it's. Oh, is it? Oh. Okay. Uh, that it was. Uh, I just thought it was the asbest terms of service. See, the the wording here does does something interesting. Building material can absolutely be parsed in two distinct but equally valid ways: material that comprises a building, or you know, material, material to make a building associated with buildings. Yeah. Uh, like, are we yes. talking building as in the process or building as in the end product? So what did they use before 1824? Because I assume they used some sort of cement. Mortar, I would assume, yeah. Yeah, it, oh. it's... Uh, prior, it was it was a very basic mortar. Yeah, I think um, the flaw that we had in answering this is assuming that cement is, like, synonymous with mortar yeah. when it is, mm. you know, more like a modernized version of mortar. They um, used mud, straw, and the tears of underage workers. That's what they would use to oh put it all together. <laughs> um, asbestos, by the way, doesn't take its name from uh, the town. There is a town that was called Asbestos at one point. They've since changed their name. Uh, but it, it, it so comes from the Greek, um... meaning inextinguishable. Asbestos. As- it was the asbestos of times. It was the asbestos of, <laughs> of times. Oh my goodness! There's some right. on for you. Yeah. Okay. Question two: What desert takes its name from the Arabic word for desert? Oh, I know this uh, one. I I like this one a lot because one of these days I will write this fact into a douchey trick question. I just haven't figured out the best way to do it. All together now. I, I think we all know we're talking about the yeah. Sahara or Sahara. Sahara. Yeah. Sahara. Sahara. It's it's the Sahara, yes. Yeah, this is one of those neat geographic chestnut pieces of information. It's kind of like the Potomac River is the River River, and the Mississippi River is the Big River River, and then there's um, and the Rio uh, Grande Tor- is the Big, Big River River. River. <laughs> and then there's Torpen Hell Hill, that's Hill 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 Hill. Uh, Lake Chad is Lake Lake. East Timor is East East. Yeah, you can go on for weeks with and one of these days i will write that round today is not that day what do you got for question three <laughs> question three is on tautologies no uh in 2004 mtv video jockey adam curry was involved in the first production of what kind of media oh i think i had a wrong guess on this that very quickly shifted into what i think is a right guess on this uh okay i I may be way off base. I'm thinking like flash mob, but I might be completely. What kind of? Oh, that is an though. interesting answer. My first thought here was that it was going to be like the first YouTube video because of the timing, and then I remember the first YouTube video was just uh, one of the founders of YouTube at the zoo for like 30 seconds or whatever. So my head is is going to a podcast because I feel like oh, it'll be around the time me. for the first uh, podcast to come out with the. You know, unveiling of the iPods and then going to the iPhones a couple years later. Well, as a classic MTV video jockey expert myself, <laughs> I, 
No, I have nothing. Because <laughs> I'm expert not. in all things curry. I <laughs> like I could be talked out of podcast here, but you know, first you're not going to be because that was actually the first thought in my head was a podcast. Okay. Uh, then we should definitely go with your first guts rather than my flash mob. So I like flash mob though. I'm not. I don't know if I. Like I don't know it if I call it a kind of media. That oh. is a. I wouldn't. Uh, that's fair, but that's a great just kind of random stab guess as to something that you know an mtv vj could be involved in kind of premiering as mm. a cultural concept um yeah let's go with podcasts though because it's specifically cluing media and it is podcast um yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go buddy uh originally founded the pod show um which uh later became Mevio, um apparently um and was supposedly the first podcast um, it's difficult to say for certain um, because the internet was kind of weird and out there at the time. So it was dif it's difficult to tell what was and wasn't a podcast. But it's generally accepted that um, Adam Curry helped produce the first podcast. I mean, my, my uncle used to take me fishing back when I was like nine years old. And he would bring canned vegetables to use as bait for reasons that I genuinely don't understand. And I believe at some point he used canned peas. I would argue that's the first podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was a <sighs> that was a long walk off a short pier for a good joke. Yeah. Would somebody please email us though and explain to me why my uncle in the late 80s would actually use canned corn though as bait? Because that's an actual fact that happened in my life. And to this day, I don't get it. My grandpa did it too. Yeah. Huh. Botanist Mark Watney is the lead character of what Andy Weir novel later brought to the screen by Ridley Scott? I, I've got this dead to rights for a couple of reasons. Most specifically, I remember the character's name. Um, and Ridley... everything else just did... lines up to be 100% accurate to my guess. Did Ridley Scott do the Aliens movies? He did, but that's not the direction you want to okay. go on this one. No, I uh, think, uh, what's, what's one of your favorite movies? Uh, the Road to El Dorado. No, not that one. <laughs> That's right. Man's good pick. Man's what her favorite movies are. Continue. Good pick. Great That's all audio. I'm saying she's, is good pick. She's watched like seven movies. I'm trying to whittle it down here. <laughs> What's uh, your favorite movie? This? No. <laughs> think think, uh, think Samwise. Oh, the Lord of the Rings movies? Yeah. Yeah? What does he, what does he admonish? Uh... Potatoes? Yeah. Potato. Jay, you can back me up on this? Yeah, sci-fi movie po about potatoes. Po potato. What was that? Soylent Green? No. no. I think there's oh, soil no. involved, but oh, I don't want to talk about it. There's, there's, yeah, there's, nobody wants to talk about that. Field of Dreams? No. Um, oh, Matt Damon. <laughs> would, it, would it help at all, Brittany, if I told you that Mark Watney was technically a Martian during this uh, novel slash movie? Is, is it the Martian movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, it's the Martian. It, it's the Martian. Um, I <laughs> just never... love how that that turned into an impromptu game of taboo right <laughs> a there. A little bit, yeah. Um, I've I've read the uh, novel. It's delightful, uh, mostly because it follows kind of the World War Z slash Z style approach to where it's not told in a narrative fashion. It's effectively told as like the journal that this uh, yeah. astronaut slash botanist kept while he was stranded on Mars. And I think that writing framework lends itself really well and made it a very enjoyable, 
enjoyable read. What does potatoes have to do with the Martian? He grew, he grew potatoes, potatoes to stay alive. Oh, Precisely. I never saw The Martian nor read the novel, so... Uh, highly recommend the novel. The movie, from what I understand, was an excellent musical slash comedy. <laughs> Wait, I, was, what? I was just going to say, at least it's botanist Mark Watney instead of publican Mark Watney, and <laughs> Tipster might laugh on that one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Abel, May Duke and Morello are all types of what fruit? Oh. Um... Uh, I'm, I'm going to start spitballing thoughts here okay. amarel and morello both to me indicate the spanish word amarillo which Just gets you to uh is yellow, yellow. so my f- wild guess would be lemon with no thunder based solely on some etymological what i'm reading is clues that might just be red herrings yeah uh i mean let's see it made me think of like amaretto but that's almonds, which are botanically a fruit. But I don't think that's probably what he's asking for. Yeah, it feels like it'd be a dick move to call almonds a fruit for a trivia question. Eh, it depends on if you're asking oh, I do from it, a science but, perspective. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause, I mean, almonds are considered a dry fruit. So, I don't know. From the Morello, I just think of the character from Orange is the New Black. But There I don't... is a perfectly good Tom Morello out there, and you go that route? I don't know what a time Look, this podcast is devolving into name things Brittany doesn't know. Oh, I'm just going to rage against this machine I'm listening to you on. Oh, okay. You know I don't know band member names. so. so Now the world does. If I'm contributing a guest to the team, I'm saying Lemon unless anybody has something that's right. Morello, Morello, Morello. I mean, usually when I don't know what it is, I just go with cherries because there seem to be a lot of cherries in the world. See, Morello's ringing cherries to me for some reason. I okay. don't know why. I, I could very, very easily be talked out of lemon here if you guys have anything resembling <laughs> I mean, honestly, seriously, Morello there feels always like... seem to be more and more types of cherries that I've never heard of. <laughs> Morello, feels like a, Morello feels like a cherry because I want to say that there's a company that does Morello cherries. Uh candies them i'm gonna push you for an answer here all right let's yeah i'm gonna go with the majority on this and let's let's cherries. lock in cherries i'm saying okay, cement we... <laughs> <laughs> well bad news aaron it's cherry <laughs> oh, good. thank you for talking me out of it although i mean back me up on this amarel and morello are both they they look cognitively like, like they Amarillo do. Amarillo. Or Amarillo, yeah. But I want to say it's like Luxardo that like does like a very sweet Morello cherry, and they sell them for like twelve dollars for a little tiny jar of them. Okay. Well, the good news is is we would have only gotten four points for this round because we missed cement. I mean, to be fair, you may or may not have chosen to answer those questions. Yeah, I feel like we would have oh, actually pulled six in this uh, accumulator. Because we had I Sahara, think... we had the Margin Dead Rights podcast felt very strong as a guess. And mm-hmm. I feel like we were wagging a little bit on Cement and Cherry and probably wouldn't necessarily have That's submitted. true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, uh, let's see if you can do better in round two. Uh, another right. five questions for you. Um, first one: What British artist whose inventions include phase shift, black 3.0, and pinkest pink is a self-declared nemesis of that one guy who was responsible for that giant bean in Chicago? 
I've got this one dead oh, thank to God, because I remember it, the it, asshole. I don't remember the Yeah, I was like, I can't remember the other guy's name. Petty I'm just going to call him not Anish Kapoor. Yeah. It, it's it's <laughs> like, it's like, it's it's prick versus asshole, really, A little on bit, this yeah. one. It's, yeah, because, because of the pink is pink and the black. Because of the black 3.0. He's got, like, a glitter one, too, that you can't use. If you are Anish Kapoor, if you're related to Anish Kapoor, if you've even touched Anish Kapoor. Right. Uh, the name of this artist is Stuart Semple. Thank you. As soon as you said it, it locked in. Semple is 100% the guy's name. It is Stuart Semple. And um, Stuart Semple's name should be spread a lot wider than Anish Flippin Kapoor is all I'm going to say uh, on that. Um I mean, if Stuart Semple wants to donate a giant-ass sculpture to Chicago that people don't talk about outside of Chicago, that's that's cool. He can do that. We'll take them both. Oh, there was a campaign to Windex that damn thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have been, should do. <laughs> uh, Anish was very annoyed by it, apparently. Uh, what route connects Jamrud and Landy Kotal as part of Asian Highway 1 and the Old Silk Road? If you were to carry on up it, you may end up in Kabul. Uh, I've got uh, a geographic guess on this. I feel about 50-50 on whether or not it's going to be right. Well, I was going to say the Silk Road. But now that I see that's in the question, I'm going to say the new Silk Road. Uh, I think he might be indicating the Khyber Pass here. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. I forget that that's a real thing. I keep thinking it's You've got like more thunder on it than thing. I do, Chief. I... I feel confident enough on this that if we were playing an accumulator, I would I would say let's lock it in. Okay. 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 So locking in Kyber Pass. Mm-hmm. And you'd be correct to carry on up the Kyber. Oh, buddy. I'm, I'm uh, so yes. happy when an answer crystallizes. <laughs> um, this oh. next one. Oh, kind gosh. Of... <laughs> I. Oh. I thought I thought I thought he was just I thought Tipster was just gonna make a carry on joke at this point and I'm not sure. No. No okay, just making sure making sure. Making sure. Um sure. Um So I know uh, where to what? go to make my lightsabers now. I no, don't quite three. follow. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um what recurring Simpsons character shares their name with a piece of furniture for some reason and an empire that encompassed most of the Mediterranean coastline? Hey Aaron. Mm. You know those answers that are like double answers? Double answers? It's Otto, man. Oh, Otto, man. Yeah, the bus driver in the Simpsons universe is ironically, unironically named Otto Man. Yep. I will take your word for that one. Otto Man. Oh, I don't have a lot of wheelhouses. Classic Simpsons is one of those wheelhouses. And you you should take that uh, Otto man because that is the answer. Congratulations. Uh, this one, this next one, I will tell you, um, stumped quite a few people. Um, this was this batteries? was this was the stumper. Is it a cricket question? No, uh, I wish. Um, born in Poland in the 15th century, who published on the revolutions of the celestial spheres? triggering an eponymous revolution of their own in the scientific community. Okay, so I would I think this like would I've be... I feel like I've got this like automatic, so I'm, I'm wondering like, if I'm like, like confidently wrong. Yeah, I was yeah. feeling Copernicus. I'm 100% feeling Nicholas Copernicus and the Copernican yeah. revolution. 
Yeah. Okay. Are you locking in Copernicus? Because Ptolemy was Greek and Galileo was Italian. I mean, Kepler is the only other astronomer in in that era that isn't Galileo. And I don't think it's Kepler. Because the Kepler revolution doesn't ring a bell. The Copernican revolution revolution strongly does. Right, but Kepler, Kepler has the planetary motion stuff. But Copernicus... Was the yeah, guy who uh, forwarded the concept of heliocentrism. Yeah. Kepler did the the laws of planetary motion, whereas Copernicus kind of defined the nature of the solar system. I first guess, best guess. My only, this, yeah, my only Nicholas concern Copernicus is what if Copernicus... is Polish, and Kepler he's definitely, is entirely okay, he's definitely Polish. not. Okay. All right, let's go with Copernicus then. I wasn't sure if he was Polish. That was my, con- that was my concern. Uh, and it is Nicolaus Copernicus. Ooh. Nicely stood ground, Jason. <laughs> See, I, I, you salted the, you salted the earth on that one when you said this one was a stumper. I'm like, oh god, is this a like a double reverse question? Oh like, it, no, it can't not be Copernicus. Wait, what if it, it's Kepler? No, many, it's not. But what if it a is? lot of people put Kepler? A oh. lot of people put Kepler. Mm. Interesting. Um, so uh, that you zagged when you should have zagged, I suppose. Um, final question in this round. The 2020 Ig Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to diplomats from India and Pakistan for effectively playing what childhood prank? Uh, oh. Oh, why uh, is this ringing a weird bell? I feel like it's like Red Rover or Chicken. Let me, let me try this again. Or... Tipster, why is this ringing a weird bell? Oh, is it Ding Dong Ditch? I really think it is. And I'm trying to remember exactly the circumstances behind it. The diplomats, I think, ultimately, you know, tried in faux vein to communicate with each other. Like they'd pick up the phone and they let it like half ring and then hang up so that they can then say, <laughs> hey, we tried to talk to the other side. Mm. Or something, you know, kind of uh, similar to that. I, I really think it's Ding Dong Ditch or whatever British people call it, which is probably crumpets and bail or whatever crumpets and bail <laughs> crumpets and bail oh my god <laughs> oh you can always tell when it's question 10 in one of these yeah i think um, it's a uh... yeah something like that sounds right yeah okay I, is it like is it called like bell and bail in british no it's, it's, it's yeah. there's multiple yeah. different names for it uh you could call it knockdown ginger Knock knock run, um, uh, Belfast, <laughs> Nicky knocky nine door. Um, uh, the fun thing is, he could be making up any number of these, and we would knock never and know. Nash, Chicky <laughs> Melly, Chap door run, Chappy Chappies, uh, or... Cherry knocking. Um, uh, but you might call it Ding Dong Ditch. Well or Tok Toki. Yeah, and we're going to call me it in for South Trumpets Africa. and Bale after all of that. Cool. <laughs> oh, good Thanks. Lord. The, the, those are worldwide variations on on the uh, well-known format of, of Ding Dong Ditch, Knock Down Ginger, uh, Cherry Knocking. <laughs> yeah, Knock Down Mellow. Ginger and Cherry Knocking sound like OnlyFans videos. And one of them yeah. sounds like a hate crime. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Knock down so, ginger. I don't think you can do in Scotland. <laughs> do you hit everybody? 
Uh, uh, do you remember specifically what the uh, the circumstances were between the diplomats? Was I in the ballpark of basically? I, what I have or... the news article here, so okay. bear with me. Sure. Uh, diplomacy between India and Pakistan can involve high stakes negotiation, uh, subtle messaging, uh, and the ever present threat of nuclear war. Sometimes it involves ringing someone's doorbell in the middle of the night and running away. <laughs> so, so literally, literally oh, God. <laughs> Is Islamabad has recalled its High Commissioner to Delhi for consultations amid a row between the neighbours about the alleged harassment of each country's diplomats and their families. They both have nukes. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think, I, I'm going to say, I think that whole round of uh, questions by Tipster puts a nice cherry on our... <laughs> On our round Sunday here. I mean, I was going to try to bing one of the two of those answers, but then that would have been unfair. Uh, well, save that pun for a rainier day. Oh, my goodness. And with that being said, <laughs> that was uh, an end to our jubilee. <laughs> Cherry puns are really the pits. We got to get the hell out of here. We've lost I know. Right. It's um, half one. <laughs> That that that's a show. Uh Aaron, where can people find you when they're not listening to the show? If you want to find me, you can find me at Trivia Smash Fargo or at triviahublive.io. Oh. The O is for value. Brittany, how about you? Where can people find you? Uh if people are looking for me, they can find me on twitch.tv slash Ginny Pond. That's G-I-N-N-Y-P-O-N-D. All right, and Jason, where can people find you? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, you can find me uh, a couple times a week on twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. You can also find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash liquid courage. And you can send all hate mail to Jeremy at liquidcourage.com. Oh, okay. We're going Jeremy this time, not Corey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about you, Tipster? Uh, so uh, you can find me either at uh, play.pinnaclelarder.com uh, if I am live by this point. Uh, if not, follow me on my socials, facebook.pinnaclelarder.com, uh, and you'll find out there sooner or later when I decide to open the bar once again. Um, but that's pretty much it from us here at the podcast. If you do want to get in touch with us here, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at QuadriviaPod. Uh, you can listen to previous episodes of the podcast, QuadriviaPodcast.com. You can email us uh, with your uh, final round ideas, your anecdotes, your ideas for keyword challenges. Your um, sultry flipper picks. <laughs> Where can they email those? Each to their own, Jason. Uh, Quadriviapod at gmail.com. And, of course, this show is supported by you. Patreon.com slash Quadrivia uh, to get some nice perks there as well for supporting the show. Uh, some of which uh, will be coming out very soon. A second bonus episode uh, is lined up, including myself, uh, Jason, and I believe uh, Dween. Um Sorry, the trivia nerd. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, put some respect on that name. Exactly. Um, discussing our, our pipe dreams for trivia hosting in the future. Mm. So if you want to get a hold of that, make sure you donate to our Patreon. Um, I think that's us pretty much done. Yeah, no, I'm going to get on out of here so I can go uh, drive out to Spokane and then ring Corey's doorbell and then run away very quickly. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm certainly not going to knock over Ron Weasley because he's in the middle of a whole different thing right now. <laughs> Involving pumpkin pasties? Or, or Hagrid's, I don't know, burlesque routine? You're a wizard, Harry. But that lap dance is still going to cost you 20 quid. really weird thing to say in a vacuum but all right what what <laughs> i know all well, you people if... from fictional locations all sound the same to me what can i say in a true vacuum no one can hear you say anything oh go do not get me started on that okay this has nothing to do with our round table and it has nothing to do with the next portion of the podcast but i do need to digress into this real quick i got so much shit like two weeks ago for a uh, a science question i wrote um, and the, the broad spectrum asked for the question was, um, bearing in mind that it can vary significantly due to temperature and density of the medium, uh, in miles per hour, what is the speed of sound in an ideal vacuum? The answer being zero, because that's the point of an ideal vacuum is that it does not transmit sound. Sound has to propagate through something. Oh yeah. Um, very very low get rate on it and a lot of people very upset because it is very much a trick question but i think it's a fair trick question because i gave mm -hmm. all the things that limit and i try to give you that you know take this with a grain of salt kind of thing uh, by saying that it varies varies wildly i did use the term ideal vacuum so it's not arguable uh, because technically technically uh sound can travel in space it's just really 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 bad at it <laughs>